Uh, there's three different uh, places I'm going to read from. The first is from 1 John 4, 7 through 18. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. The next verse is John 13, verse 35. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And the last passage this morning is from 2 Corinthians 3, 1 through 6, and verse 18. Are we beginning to praise ourselves again? Are we like others who need to bring you letters of recommendation or who ask you to write such letters on their behalf? Surely not. The only letter of recommendation we need is you yourselves. Your lives are a letter written in our hearts. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Clearly, you are a letter from Christ, showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. We are confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. Uh, and I'd like to welcome our good friend Leonard Thompson up to lead us in worship through teaching this morning. Appreciate that. Welcome. I like you clapping. <laughs> I apologize, like I did last time, that uh, I walked in late. I'm teaching at another church on uh, comparative religions, and today... on Buddhism, <clears throat> for 22 years in a row, I went to Northern Thailand, Chiang Mai Bible Institute to a seminary there and taught for two weeks every year, 22 years in a row, much younger then. And uh, 
got to love the Philippines, and so I'm going to greet you today in Thai. Instead of saying good morning, Sawatika. Anybody knows that? Well, anyhow, that's traditional Thai Sawatika. All right. I want to begin with the story, and I want to first thank Alison for helping me, and uh, thank very much your executive pastor. Her name is Kate. I've given her that title. I'm not saying her, but that's what I believe she is to this church. I'm not saying anything more than that. Anyhow, I knew a lady, little, quite a bit older than me, who not very long ago passed away into eternity across the border in Council Bluffs, Nebraska. Her name was Lois, Lois Reese. She grew up in Montana. And she was famous in her area for a couple of things. Horse riding and shooting rattlesnakes. I've actually seen a picture of her in full cowgirl gear, double guns, both on each side. And she would ride around like that on, they lived in a remote area, shooting rattlesnakes. She wrangled horses, all of that. She gave that all up, married a Canadian Welshman by the name of David, David Rees. I knew them very, 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 very well. And they went to China. They learned Mandarin. They spoke and fluent Mandarin Chinese. They worked in Yunnan province with other tribal groups like the Rawang and the Hmong and uh, Aka. I'll leave that all aside. And then when the communists took over, they fled, just managed to escape into Burma, where he stayed in Burma. And then when Burma became communist, again they fled into northeastern India to a state called Meghalaya on the border. And when they had problems there, they came down to where I live, to my area, southern India. And they started a leprosy hospital. Are you in any way, remote way, familiar with leprosy? The Bible talks a lot about it. There's a technical uh, medical name to it which I can't remember. But it is not just an ordinary disease. It's a social disease as well because it is so physically visible in two ways, sight and smell, that people shun them. Even the Bible says they had to carry little bells and ring it so that people could go away. I used to go there regularly to that hospital and uh, teach and preach to the staff. And I've seen Lois Reese help the doctor. I mean, I first thought of putting a picture on, but it would be terrible. You see, what leprosy does is amongst everything, and I know medical, but leprosy, amongst other things, destroys the cartilage in your body. And so when the cartilage of the nose goes, that's why it collapses. And that's part of the reason why your fingers get tumbled and your toes, they're all gone. In remote areas that's compounded with the fact that lack of facilities, they uh, sometimes have rats biting them and so on. But one of the most uh, important things about leprosy, and I've done this myself, uh, they lose all sense of feeling because their nerve endings are dead. 
And the first test we do for leprosy with anybody is to say, close your eyes and take a pin and run it around them. If they say, no pain, no pain, you've got leprosy. And so these poor people with the, the fingers collapsed and the nose collapsed and the toes collapsed, they walked for miles in the villages, bare feet, not feeling any pain. So a little wound becomes an ulcer and they don't even know and open and open, and I've seen on the heels of people, big ulcers, filled, I use the regular word, pus. Can I describe that? Let me give you one description. I'm not talking about runny stuff, I'm talking about thick stuff, yellow and very, very, very smelly. And I would help Mrs. Reese and the doctor, name was Dr. Frank, he would take scissors and cut off that flesh and no pain. And then he would take like a little spoon, medical spoon, and scoop out the maggots. It's awful to look at. Awful to smell. Poor, poor people. And one day, one of the ladies who was being treated this way asked Lois Reese from Montana and China and Burma and Northeast India, asked her, why are you doing this for us? Everybody else calls us outcasts, untouchables. Why are you doing this for us? And her answer came out without the bat of an eyelid. Because God loves you. She didn't say because we love you, because I'm an American, etc., etc. No. Without repeating, bat of an eyelid, she said, because God loves you. And then she added, and so. I love you too. You see, that's going to be kind of the heart of what I'm talking about today. How does this work? We love him because only he first loved us and sent his son and so on. We love him because he first loved us. I emphasize today in my class at the other church, it all begins with God. The big Eastern meditation, don't try it, it's dangerous. Biblical meditation is over, is okay. Psalm 1 says, upon your door I meditate day and night. But that's a whole different topic, no time for that. Now, meditation in Eastern ways empties the mind to a certain extent possible. Because if you remember James Joyce's stream of consciousness, anyhow, uh, you can't totally empty your mind, but to a great extent you can, and that's when satanic influence comes in. Be careful, be very careful. Get out of all this nonsense of uh, Eastern, uh, um, uh, I am God, do what you all of that. That's another story. God starts the whole world rolling. He first loved us. And when we accept Christ as our Lord and God, when we believe in Him and obey Him, he takes over our lives through his Holy Spirit, Acts 5.32, Acts 2.38, Acts 2.38 says, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 5.32 says, the latter part, God gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey him. It's not some magical process. When we obey him, he comes into us, lives in us, dwells in us through his Holy Spirit. And his love infuses us. 
and his love takes over our nature or corrupt nature due to Adam and Eve's sin, slowly changes that. Slowly, slowly changes that. And then we could give it out to others. And then Jesus' command comes in. Love one another as I have loved you. Commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. And you will show others, you will prove to others, you're the disciple of Jesus Christ. You are a follower of Christ. You see, now, uh, 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 is there some kind of magic, is kind, kind of automatic thing? And so where do I come in, Lord? Where do I come in? You just do it for me. Your love comes in. You infuse my, uh, me with your love. And you say, that love goes out. Where do I come in? What about my personality? What about my nature? Oh, 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 don't forget this. He doesn't come into us unless we desire him. I was teaching today about one of the fallacies of Buddhism. Uh, Buddha said, uh, I shouldn't bring all this in. Buddha said, the way to the right noble path is, path and all of that, all of that, is to kill desire. Sounds great, yeah. Desire for lust, kill it. I go along with a lot of that because so often we try to deal with the consequence of something when we should kill it at its source. Uh, uh, and so uh, uh, when we have God's love, why does God come into us not forcefully? Because we want him to. So we have a part to play in that. And the fallacy in Buddhism is kill desire. But I've got to have desire to kill desire. That's another philosophy which I won't get into. I love to teach all of this, but we'll get into that. So don't ever think that this is so automatic. Oh, God comes into me, so what else can I do but promote his love? Two things in that. There's nothing else you can do. Why? Because it crushes out of us. It flows out of us. Remember the old, I believe it was the Nazi uh, uh, story I read about the Nazis who for some reason or the other, I believe it was one of the camps, told them all to line up and said, we are going to shoot every 10th person. And one to pay for five, seven, eight, nine, ten. One to do five, nine. So they began counting, you know, down the line, the men themselves and the women began to know, will I be the tenth, will I be the tenth? And one father realized he was going to be nine. And next to him was his son, the 10th. So when the Nazi shooters were not watching, he slowly pushed his son into the ninth place. He died as the 10th. Why? Love from his nature gushed out. And that's how it is with the love of God in us. It takes over our initial natures, our corrupt natures, and it gushes out. And by that, others will see who we are. Now Paul, in the scripture that was given to me, which incidentally that whole chapter is really quite a great chapter. I read it a couple of times. Now 2 Corinthians chapter 2 says this, it was read in our scripture, that Paul says, hey, you are our letter of recommendation. Now, if you know anything about Corinth, it was an awful, awful city. 
The church there had all kinds of problems. Modern day churches think they have problems. Oh, they should have gone to Corinth. But in that church, whatever happened, Paul could later on write and say, he probably wrote three letters to Corinth. We don't know where the second one was, probably lost. But he was able to write later on and say, hey, you want to know why I'm, uh, I am an apostle? You want me to prove? Others are proving this and that. You are questioning my, uh, uh, my apostleship. Look at the Corinthians. Look at those problematic, quarrelsome, I'll describe them later on. Troublesome Corinthians, look at them now. They are my letter of recommendation. Now, let's go back and look at how all this works. It all began at creation. At creation, God created us in his image. And the major part of that image was the love of God. A lot of things come in your rationality and personality and uh, desire to worship, sense of moral righteousness. All that was embedded in us when God created us in his image. All of that was corrupted when Adam and Eve fell. And when Adam and Eve fell, the love that God had given them also got corrupted. But on the other side of the relationship, God's love continued for man. That never changed. But the love that we were supposed to have for others, the love that, was that is infused to us later on, that love was also corrupted. And so man fell. And as a result of that, what happened? Very, 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 very soon, Caleb, I'm sorry, Cain, Cain and Abel, jealousy, envy, brothers. Why? That love was gone from uh, the generation following Adam and Eve. Inequality. As we read later on, Abraham and the great, great inequality between the two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. That's another story, that's another philosophy. Hatred sent in. Cain hated his brother Abel. Violence followed. Murder followed. All in the first generation after Adam and Eve. Why? When they in the image of God, tarnished image, tarnished love. The love had gone and it goes on and on. But when Christ comes into our lives and dwells in us, he actually dwells in us. He lives in you, brother. I don't know your name, but he lives in you. He lives in you. You better believe it. Josh, he lives in you. We don't grasp this enough. Uh, it's much, much more than that. Once you start feeling on this and meditating on it, now you're not meditating on it. It's a stated fact that, oh, it transforms lives. All your behavior, etc. Which, of course, I'm going on saying that's another message. When Christ comes in, his love slowly, slowly, slowly comes back into us and once again takes us over again. That's why Jesus says, John 13, 34, 35, as I have loved you, so love others. Then others will see you, observe you, experience it, and feel it 
and understand who you are and who are we his followers his disciples his letters of recommendation his fragrance of jesus the fragrance of jesus in clay jars that's another metaphor used but notice this is what the world uh, this is not what the world thinks it's love this is a uh, no, not romantic love this is not erotic love this is not political love it's not even nationalistic love never equate nationalistic love with the love of god i've seen it done to the detriment of nations never never do that this is not the love that who should i think of lady gaga sings about or the guy who's going to be at the super bowl usher is it is that how you pronounce it this is not that the love, that kind of love that you're going to sing at the super bowl oh they think about love the super bowl uh i've been in india for super bowl let sermon aside and i had to get up little of the night to watch it and i asked i said okay look i need to go to super bowl you're in india and <laughs> let them win and go lecture they be forgotten you know from uh, ladies fading into the distance but anyway that's a side but the point of the matter is this is not that kind of love now slowly the love of god is in us sacrificial love practical love and it will be visible to others this is what some of the thing the bible says it's all in the scripture i've got the scripture i'm not reading it oh my love your enemies oh that's a biggie I like to get deeply practical in my messages and no use me preaching if I cannot make application as I go along that's what I was taught Is your enemy a democrat? You hate his guts what? Or maybe he's a republican and you hate her guts what? Love your enemies the Bible says When I taught for about 10 years in deep uh, south Missouri south uh, southwest Missouri every class of mine will say sir are you a democrat or republican and i would say no comment and i would tell them that i said it's irrelevant i'm an indian citizen no longer due to god's grace i became an american citizen november 4th it's going to be first year anniversary but i will be uh, uh, in india at that time and the point i'm making is this let me get back to the sermon the point i'm making is this The Bible says love your enemies. But it goes on, it goes on to make that practical. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. That's in Matthew chapter 5. Love your neighbor as yourself in all almost all the gospels as yourself. You know one of the real translations put it this way. Love your neighbor in spite of yourself. Who that transforms it i don't like it but i've got to love him a friend of mine studying uh, studying down the road in illinois at lincoln christian college he went to indonesia to work with indonesian muslims he stayed there 13 years and then came back as a missions professor we were classmates at wheaton college and he studied at lincoln also now 
He told me as we were driving one day, he said, Leonard, he said, you know, when I graduate, I'm going to Indonesia. I said, yeah, I know that. He said, I'm going to work amongst the Indonesian Muslims. And uh, I said, good for you, uh, uh, Ron, I think it's, yeah, Ron, good for you. And he said, no, he said, I have a major problem. I said, what's your problem? I don't like the Muslims. I said, then why are you going? And he said, you know what? Because God will make me love them. He stayed 13 years and goes back constantly. You see how it works? Started all started at creation and re-given to us when he becomes our Lord and a Savior. So your activity of love to others, well, let's look at a couple of other scriptures. First Corinthians chapter 13, that whole chapter, love is patient, love is kind. And uh, the one that we make, need to make note of in First John, you are a liar if you say you love God and hate your brother. Look at that brother in more than just spiritual brother. I would like to do that. I'll repeat the verse and not comment on it. You are a damn biblical damn, not swearing damn. Okay. You are a damn liar. If you say you love God and you sing all those songs, love lifted me, old him. If you say you love God and hate the neighbor. Oh my. Let's do some projection and imagination now on this theme. Remember in the Bible, in the book of Job, the first few verses, we read about God meeting Satan somewhere in the cosmos. I love that passage because it makes it so real. What is real? God meets Satan and actually God starts a conversation. This is from the Bible, I'm paraphrasing. God meets Satan and says, Satan, where have you been? And Satan says, oh, well, I'm coming from the earth. I was roaming all around the earth. That itself is a good scripture. So the Bible says that so Satan is like a roaring lion. Hey, Satan is roaming around Des Moines. Urbandale. Satan is roaming around where I came from this morning, Pleasant Hill. That's Satan's job to roam around. And so he told God, well, I was roaming around the earth. And then God said, now the first thing is, is this a parable or is this history? It's no parable. It's history recorded by the Lord who wanted it recorded. It happened. And so God tells Satan, have you seen my servant Job? And Satan said, yes, I've seen my servant. Have you seen how faithful he is? Yeah, he's faithful. But you know why? You're protecting him. You're taking care of him. And then the challenge is thrown. The challenge is thrown that God says, do what you want to my servant Job. The only thing you can't do is take his life. We know the rest of the story. He gave him a terrible skin disease, maybe psoriasis, like I sometimes get. Or maybe it was leprosy. Maybe the, all of the suffering. His whole family was wiped out. And you know the worst part of what Satan did? You're not going to like this. The worst thing that Satan did was, his wife did not die. As all the children were gone. And you know what his wife did? She actually told Job, you're suffering so much, curse God and die. 
Now the real translation of what follows this, he says, you don't know anything, but the real thing is, he said something that, shut up, you stupid woman. I'm not making this up. Scholars have put it this way. Shut up, you stupid woman. You don't know what you are talking about. It was added mystery to him, right, with all this something. But in the end, Job never forgot God. And if Job says, I know my redeemer limit, when God restored him, 100%. In fact, glimpses of resurrection, another theological question, his children were given back. Save children or resurrected? Anyhow. Use that as a foundation for our imaginative experience. And God forgive me if I'm blaspheming. God meets Satan. And where have you been, Satan? Oh, I've been all around the earth roaming. And God says, uh, have you seen my servant Paul? And Satan says, oh yes, I've seen him. What's so great about him? And God says, look at the Corinthians. And Satan says, oh yes, I know those Corinthians. That bunch of, a lot of slaves that Paul is dealing with. Prostitutes from the temple. Philandering sailors. Quarrelsome Jews. All this is in the Bible. Uh, homosexuals. There's a whole temple to homosexuality. Snotty, high-class elite. On and on. Uh, Satan says, I like those people. But God says, have you taken a new look at them? Look again. They are changed. They are a congregation of my people now, not your people. Transformed, made new, no longer evil. And Satan, you know why? Look at my servant. It's Paul who did this. Remember when God told Isaiah in that vision, I saw the Lord high and mighty seated upon the throne, etc. And God said, I'm going to send you to a people who would not hear. I'm sending you to a people who will not change. I'm sending you to a people who are hard-hearted. And yet I'm sending you. And Isaiah did not say, Lord, stop. Why send me if they're not going to listen? Isaiah did not say, Lord, why don't you send me to Hawaii? You know, a lot of ungodly people there. No, but God says, that's, my, that's the way it was called. He didn't bypass God and say, ah, don't go to those people downtown. Now, don't go to those people in that old place. Don't go to that people. Uh, uh, there's a Walmart. They, they, a lot of people I have met call it scary Walmart. I don't know why. I, because the people who live around it, if that's our attitude, God says, go there. But so Paul could uh, have been in God's conversation. That's only imagination. But Paul clearly says, these Corinthians are my recommendation. They are my people. Because Paul brought them to Jesus. Paul preached love to them. Paul preached equality to them. Paul preached forgiveness and acceptance to them. Paul changed their lives to Jesus and forged them into a Christ community. They are therefore witnesses of what Paul did, his letter of recommendation. You know, Martin Luther said this, and I'm quoting Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King. The Martin Luther, 
Martin Luther said is, life's most persistent and urgent question it is, what are you doing for others? And uh, gateway. I'm not putting guilt or anything. It's scripture. What am I doing? What is gateway? What is Karen Thompson doing for others? There's that old song, Dear Why Jesus First, Joseph Not Others in Between. What are we doing for others? If ever the world needed the love of God, it is today. If ever the world needed witnesses like the Corinthians, it is today. No longer is it love your neighbor as yourself, but instead, you'll have to agree with me on this, it is be suspicious of your neighbor. Don't articulate it, but we feel it at times. That's the atmosphere today. I'll give an illustration. My wife and I were flying once, going back to India. I think it was United, whatever the aircraft was, I don't know. Just in front of us by this prim and proper, well-dressed lady. I'm not dancing. Anyhow, the thing is, she was all well-dressed. And next to us, opposite my wife and I, this well-dressed man came in, very well-dressed, very obviously stinking rich. He's a different color, of course. He was Asian. He was some kind of Asian. And my wife and I also, and I also noticed that he began to get up, pull his suitcase out from the baggage compartment, open it, search around, put it back, sit down, look in his pocket, stand up again, look quietly, look into his suitcase and so on. And we began to wonder, maybe he lost his passport, maybe he can't find his ticket, or maybe he's looking for a love letter, who knows? But this officious woman, I'm not calling a lady now, this officious woman got up from her seat, went to the steward, we knew what was happening, and whispered in his ear, and that steward came back to this man and said, Sir, please come with us. You know how I felt? I wanted to follow my wife, always stopped me. I was going to follow and say, what's wrong with that man? They took him forward, I don't know all that happened. He came back very distraught, and the steward accompanied him and said, I'm sorry, sir. And then he leaned to the woman and said, it's okay. She was suspicious of him because he looked different, like me. And he acted different, like me. Suspicion today, rather than love your neighbor as yourself. If we are honest, we will admit that today the world is pervaded, and I'm not talking about the Americas only, South, North, Canada. I'm talking about India, which is going through intense anti-Christian persecution, anti-Muslim persecution. And nobody's worried, of course. But the world is pervaded today with ethnic hatred, social hatred, racial hatred, political hatred, economic hatred, the haves against the have-nots and so on. And there's another kind of a hatred 
I'll never forget these words from good old Kyle. You remember Kyle? He said, there's a, he didn't use the word hatred, but he said, there are people, and I'll add to that, Kyle's gone. Kyle's quotation, there are people who are addicted to an ideology. Oh my, that's a classic. People addicted to an ideology to the extent that they hate their neighbors and even because of that ideological addiction, I'm open now, criticize me. They are willing to split churches. I've said a lot in that few sentences. But that's what? Hatred. Instead of the love your neighbor as yourself, hatred comes in. Even though it's your spiritual neighbor. You know what I'm talking about. And I know very, very much what I'm talking about because I travel widely. I can feel. I first came to this country in 1968 when the bulk of you were not born. I came to Cincinnati soon after the what is well known as over the Rhine uh, 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 rampage and so on and so forth. But even then, the hatred today that I feel as I travel around, nothing is really said but it's pulsating. I keep it as clean and nice as possible. I feel it because I've traveled to 31 countries in this world. I preached it about 26, 27 maybe. When I pass through the airport, when I pass through immigration, when I pass through security, when I check in at hotels, When I, true story, one sentence, true story, when I'm asked to leave a missionary meeting because I am not American, thrown out. Hatred is in our world today. Why? That love of God, which was infused in us as creation, was lost, and we have not had that love be recreated in us. But I, we have to follow the words of Jesus in spite of all of this and it is possible because of him. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we are Jesus' witnesses in that metaphor that Paul used elsewhere. We become treasures and earthen vessels that's in 2 Corinthians also. God places in us, and we are weak and fragile uh, human beings, God places in us his power and glory so we can be his recommendation to the world. The power belongs to God, not to us. Or as one of, my prof one of the professors at uh, Pasadena Fuller Theological said, we become little Jesus is. His spirit is in us. His spirit is God. His love is in us. So can I walk back to the car with my daughter Karen? She always walks ahead of me because I'm slow. And uh, as I go along, somebody asks me, hey, 
You came from that church, you know, what's it called? Gateway. Uh, what did they teach there? They teach about Jesus. Who is this Jesus? Can I tell them? Can I tell them? Look at me. Ooh. You want to know who Jesus is? Look at me. That's what Paul was saying in the text that was assigned. Beautiful. You want to know about Jesus? You want to know about what I did? Look at these Corinthians. And as they are now. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. The scripture says that. That scripture, by the way, Romans, uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 5 to 6. He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. He has enabled us. Every one of you will leave if you knew the real, inside, corrupted me. You think I don't battle every day to ennoble and enable the love of Christ in me? Don't think 82 years old are not tempted, okay? Remember that. I battle every day. But praise God. And I'm saying this to Alan Jackson said Praise God. God enables me. God enables me. That's the scripture given to me. God enables me to be ministers of his covenant to all of Asia through my six broadcasts of television to different parts of the world. God enables me. I had a devotion to be done on Zoom the other day. Why do I preach? It's not because I'm qualified and I am. It's not because I've experienced and I am. It's not that God has given me gifts and that's true. But I preach because he enables me to reach out to the lost and the dying and he does the same with you. I do not need to use any self-skills or self-help. It's all of God and none of me. And there is something even greater and grander in this. So listen, as I begin to close now. Remember the equation as we began? Where it said, God first loves us. So we love God who infuses his love in us through the giving of his Holy Spirit. When we accept Jesus into our lives by faith and obedience, then we extend that love out to others and we become competent ministers of his love and covenant. And as I close, this is so beautiful now, look at that scripture, oh my. This is the very last section of that uh, passage and I, I love this. To me, this makes the passage. Who is the spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Full circle. Creation. Image of God. Lost. Now, full circle. We are being made to be the one day in eternity. We will once again be in the likeness image of God and don't ask me how. That's the transformation we look forward to. So look at each other as we depart. You look like God to me? And I'm going to say, say this very carefully, don't, don't ostracize me. Don't stop me from these things. Yes, 
I see God in you, I could pick out a fruit. Do you see God in you? One day, we'll all see God in each other. 